Welcome to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer, America's Land Auctioneer. I want to thank all of you for joining us today on your favorite radio station. We certainly do appreciate you joining us every Saturday morning here on your favorite radio station. If you forget to uh, hear our broadcast at any time, you can always go to our Spotify and Apple podcast if you want to get caught up on everything. We have a library full of podcasts. I believe there's 70-plus podcasts that you can listen to on a variety of different topics, whether it's legal plan- you know, legal issues, easements, mineral rights, estate planning, or talking about REITs, which we're going to talk a little bit about today, or land values and those types of things. You always go back into the library podcast and take a look at them on either Apple or Spotify, or you can go to pifers.com. Go to our website at pipers.com and click on our radio banner, and that'll take you directly to all of our previous podcasts if you want. In studio today, Larry O'Callaghan. Uh, Larry's been with us for a number of years, and uh, Larry's uh, been kind enough to come in studio today. We're going to talk about real estate investment trusts a little bit today and kind of get a lay of the land since we're, well, a little over halfway through the year now and where we're at with uh, real estate investment trusts. Uh, they're a big instrument that a lot of people use to defer property gain taxes, uh, capital gain taxes. So again, we want to make sure that we uh, keep everybody up to date on on the tax uh, tables and the different types of rates and uh, the deferral uh, strategies that you can put in place, whatever it might be, if you want to try and defer defer that income uh, or that tax, I should say. And then also in studio, Steve Link, the broker at Pfeiffer's Auction Realty, joining us here again today. We're going to talk about some really recent land auctions that Pfeiffer's have had and some uh, private sales that they've had. And we're going to talk a little bit about investments uh, coming from outside of farm country into, into farmland. Just kind of, you know, set the, set the record straight there a little bit as far how, as how we see it. Uh, because, you know, obviously there's a lot of speculation about what's going on with some of the, some of the larger, the more wealthier people in America buying farmland. And we got our own little take on that. Uh, we, we do want to share some of our thoughts on that, too, here today as we as the program unfolds. Um, we'll see how much time we have as we get towards the end of the end of the radio show here in the podcast so that we can all participate in that. If you want to get a hold of us, you can certainly call us at 877-700-4099 or you can go to pifers.com and you can email us at info at pifers.com and we'll get you all the uh, questions that you have over to Larry and to Steve and to myself and We'll either answer them today or we'll get them answered in future podcasts and radio shows if we can. So a lot of you over the last couple of months have been doing uh, doing that. We've been trying to get back to everybody either on our podcast or the radio show as much as we possibly can. And if you've got any uh, topics you would like us to discuss, certainly let us know. But but today we're going to talk more about current where we are currently in a lot of different things. We're going to talk about land values, some of the things that have been going across happening across the region regarding land sales and those types of things because we all read the headlines. We all... See the big uh, land sales, they, they're the ones, the big dollar amount ones hit the headlines. And, but what really is going on as far as land values? So we're going to be able to share with you some of that. Um, uh, and then also just thank here the, the Pfeiffer's Group for sponsoring the show. All of our friends at Pfeiffer's Auction Realty and Pfeiffer's Land Management. You know, nobody does it better than that group. They manage uh, well in excess of 230,000 acres of farmland. And they annually sell around 50,000 acres of farmland throughout the Northern Plains and the Corn Belt and what they now call the Western Corn Belt. 
So again, they got a lot of experience, and we've been talking to them, you know, hourly and daily here over the course of the last couple of months, trying to get data from them, and they certainly have a very, very good pulse on it. One sale in particular, I know, Stephen, I wanted to talk about is recently. Uh, we recently had a sale in the northern part of North Dakota, up in Towner County, and again, uh, you know, that that's an area that obviously uh, kind of sits on the bubble a little bit. Really good ground up there. It's uh, you know they. They raise a lot of really good wheat, barley, used to be a lot of derm up in that part of the country, but now you see a lot more canola, sunflowers, and those types of things. But we recently had a sale up in that area in northern Towner County uh, that uh, two of the parcels uh, went for around 4000 an acre. Another one, Steve, went for 4500 an acre, uh, again, at a public auction, so that is public knowledge. But again, uh, certainly uh, eye-catching numbers in that part of North Dakota that we probably have never seen in that area. No, and I and I, you got to hand it to the producers and farmers up there because they've really um, done a nice job of of being able to grow high quality crops with high yields in a shorter growing season, right? Cuz you're you're Canada, you can almost see Canada from from some of those parcels. And so it's it's really impressive what they've been able to do. And every time I'm up there, I'm amazed at, at the different uh, practices that they do, the farming practices that they do, and how they're able to produce there. Because, you know, it is different terrain up there. It's potholy. There's, uh, um, and, and, and you can't drain a lot of that because it's flat and there's no place for it to go. Or they may have easements on it and, and things like that. And we could talk for, for an hour about that and the challenges that they have. Um, but that sale, um, there was really good participation. It felt like the investors were were out um, well before the the hammer dropped. Um, but the uh, but and, and so the high bidders were were producers were were people that were going to farm it or wanted to farm it. So um, yeah, it uh, another another check mark on the this 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 strong land market, um, <clears throat> which you, which especially is is like you said is I is is eye popping is when you see the headlines talk about the housing market. And I heard somebody say the other day that 30% of residential contracts have been, 30% of property that's been under contract, they've canceled those contracts, 30% of them. And so, and I don't know if that's if the interest rates going up or if their jobs have changed or a combination of all that, but that's a, that's a, that's, that's a tough thing to navigate. And we're just not seeing that in the farmland. Yeah, and I think probably their main reason for something like that is, you know, obviously you got you got inflation, runaway inflation, which is recorded at nine point one percent. But there's a lot of people that feel that it's significantly higher than that. In fact, we I was at a I was at a lender dinner the other night, and we were all talking about it. And I asked some of the speakers that spoke at an event earlier in the day. I said, "Well, what do you think inflation really is at? I mean, nine percent seems really low. Cause, you know, when you're looking at all the prices we're paying for things." When you not not just gasoline and eggs and bacon and all the stuff that they, they always talk about on uh, on the news, but when you talk about your day to day stuff, I don't care whether it's clothing or toothpaste or whatever it is, but you know I'd say nine percent. I mean, I I would think that's like maybe half the number, a third of the number, and then throw shrinkflation on top of it. What you're really getting for it, right? How many potato chips do they actually stuff in one of those bags? You know, that's shrinkflation. You know, that's gone way down. So again. Um, the point I'm trying to get to is, you know, that, that has really affected, I think the people that are buying homes and, you know, they're living off of fixed income and, you know, when it comes down to it for them, what it boils down to the monthly payment, you know, what is the monthly payment going to be? And, uh, Larry and I were talking about that off air earlier. Um, and we were just, you know, talking about, you know, how, 
you know, with this one particular scenario, this, uh, this couple that was buying a house, you know, their, their payment went up $500 just in the last, you know, three rate hikes that we've had from the federal reserve. So when you talk about what's going on there, I mean, that's a big bite for a lot of people. Uh, when we were in February of this year, the, the prime lending rate was three and a quarter, basically at five now with the latest one here just earlier this week. Uh, we went from three and a quarter to three and a half to four and a quarter to five, five-ish range. So that's where we're at. You know, so interest rates didn't go up 1.75%. They've almost doubled. <laughs> They've gone up 60, 70%, whatever, whatever that number is. It's not 1.75%. So when you buy a home for $400,000 tack on, let's just say even 2% more, that's another 8,000 a year in interest rate. And that goes into the monthly payment. So I think... I don't know, Steve, when you talk about the cancellations, that's probably why. It is. It is. And I, and then people ask me, well, when's that going to happen in farmland? And I think there's a little different math in farmland. And Kevin, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you talk about the higher payment, but we're also seeing the top line of the commodity prices way up there. And so producers and, and farmers are, are, are getting are getting more um, off of that land, and so they can they can stand to pay those higher payments um, right now. Now, is that going to carry on 12 months from now, 18 months from now? I can't guarantee that, but short term, uh, buyers are still willing to buy it. And then the other thing that I find is 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 fun fun to talk to people that went through the high interest rates of the 80s. And so when you just talked about five percent. In their mind, that's still a really low interest rate. But like you said, it's doubled. There's a lot of people that got in under 3% and, and locked in some, some interest rates um, down that low. And so it's all in perspective on some of this stuff. Um, but I've been really happy with our participation in our farmland and the buyer interest. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. You know, and I think when it comes down to the, you know, you got the farmland, which is a, a performing asset. Um, your home, your home is, you know, it's basically a fixed asset that's not performing. You're not getting any dividend income off it or anything like that. So again, it's not producing income to make the payment. Whereas farmland is, uh, you know, basically what, basically what you have is you have, uh, an asset that performs. You got, yeah, you got your property taxes you need to pay your farm liability insurance, and you're probably managing it yourself or you hired pipers to manage it, whatever you got the fee in there, whatever it might be. But you got that performing asset. It's probably just not performing at the level it was prior to that. So again, I think that from that perspective, you know, it's probably, you know, it takes a little bit of the edge off of the farm purchaser, the farmland purchaser. Uh, but again, you know, obviously it's going to hurt. I mean, you buy a million dollars of the land today versus when you bought it in March of this year, uh, you're, and if you're tied to prime, which a lot of, uh, banks will use, uh, the prime rate as kind of the benchmark, you're going to pay another $15,000 a year in, in interest than you were in March of this year. Yeah. And we're that. not done with the year yet. <laughs> so, yeah. So on the other side, you better, you better, you better produce more to, to, to make that payment. Yeah, absolutely. Folks are listening to America's land auction here. The first segment went by pretty quick here. I want to thank Steve Link, the broker at Pipers for being with us today. Larry O'Callaghan, I promise Larry, we're going to get you on here. Segments two, three, and four. But before we go to our first break, I want to thank all of our friends at Pfeiffer's Auction Realty and Pfeiffer's Land Management for sponsoring our show. And you can get a hold of any of their farm auctioneer, farmland auctioneers or equipment auctioneers or their farm real estate uh, agents or their farmland managers at 
800-700-4099, or you can email them at info at pipers.com. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. We'll be right back after this break. $1,000 bid, $2,000 wear, $1,750 here now, too. Sold your way for $1,750. Welcome back to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer, America's Land Auctioneer. Thank you all for joining us here again uh, for our seg- second segment of the day. Steve Link, the broker at Pfeiffer's, is with us. Larry O'Callaghan, 1031, and uh, tax the capital gain deferred expert with us here today. So, again, I want to thank Larry for joining us here. We're going to have an all-out discussion here on what's going on here. And, you know, in the first segment, Steve and I were talking quite a bit about uh, residential purchases, where we're at with with interest rates and that type of thing, farmland and everything. It's interesting. I was listening to a segment. Uh, it was a podcast that somebody had recently where they had actually interviewed Warren Buffett, and he was talking, said he was talking to a lady. This was years and years ago, and, and you know, she wanted a little bit of advice, and, uh, you know, she had, I don't know what it was, like at the time, $10,000. What should I do with it? And he said, well, what do you have for debt? And she said, well, I got this credit card. I got debt paying 18.5% interest. And he said, he said, you know, he said, you know, I, I could never get you 18 and a half percent. Why don't you pay that off? I can't do that. Or you know what? I'll lend, I'll lend it to you at 9% I'll, at half of it. Uh, cause that's probably about the best I can do. You, you know, so again, when you're talking about interest rates, um, it, it's kind of interesting because if you are, let's say for instance, um, you have, let's say you, you're in a position where you could sell stock and, and you, but I don't care what it is Burlington. Well, you can buy, sell Burlington Northern stock cause it's owned by, uh, Buffett's group now, but let's say you had Apple stock or Caterpillar or whatever it is, um, and you and you know you're going to be taxed on. Let's say you've held it for a long time. Are you going to sell that stock uh, and then pay off your loans now that may be tied to Prime that aren't fixed? Uh, let's say you have a million dollar line of credit, you put your crop in, or you have a million dollar line of credit or whatever. You have these loans that are that they fluctuate with whatever benchmark, you know, whatever it might. I don't think they use LIBOR anymore, but but with prime or whatever, or you, and then, but then you got to pay the, t- the capital gain tax on that stock you sell, or, or do you just bite the bullet and you pay the interest rate that you're dealt with right now? And, and hopefully in a year or two, we get inflation and get through this recession and everything. And then interest rates come back down. Uh, it's kind of a dilemma. What do you do? Because if you do sell some stock that you have a capital gain on, you got to pay the tax or do you just keep, uh, do you bite the bullet, Larry? What do you think? It you, is a problem. No matter how you look at it, Kevin, Taxes are going to be there, uh, and you're going to die. So what I would be doing on that is making a decision and literally flip a coin. I mean, you really don't have a, a, a lot of options on that. You know, it, it, it creates kind of, you know, you know I've, I've asked a lot of different people, hey, if you were, in, you know, in your situation, what do you do? Uh, you, know, and I, you know, and obviously uh, in farm country, you know, there's a lot of people that use operating line of credits. Uh, to put in a crop because it costs a lot of money to put in a crop today. Uh, they may have some of their assets tied up in everything. They may, you know, they'll have a lot of it tied up in land and farm machinery, equipment, uh, and other things. They may have other investments too. So again, you want to use other capital that may be reasonable uh, if it's priced reasonable. And for many, many years, you know, prime lending rate, anywhere from two and a half to three and a quarter was very, very reasonable. We all know that. Uh, but now that we're going to be, you know, some people think we're going to be double by the end of the year, that, that the prime lending rate will, there be, might be two more rate increases. So we could, if we're, if we get to 6%, we're going to be double where we were in, where we were in February, March of this year, before they start taking the, before the federal reserve started taking the rate hike. So again, um, what do you do? I mean, I, I think it's an analysis that everybody has to take into consideration. Um, you know, and obviously some of these assets, there's an appreciation, but. 
But really, is there an appreciation if you don't ever really sell it? Like a lot of farmers, you know, they're going to keep their land, Steve. They're not going to probably ever sell it. You know, a lot of them don't want to sell, whether they're farmers or ranchers. They want to keep their land footprint the same. So, you know, it does create a little bit of a dilemma from that standpoint. Uh, but again, I, th- I think what's happening right now in this country, you know, with obviously this energy deal is so out of whack right now. We're paying outrageous prices for, for diesel fuel. Um, which, what, what, Steve, 80, 90% of all tractors now run on diesel. Uh, some of these bigger tractors are burning 20 to 25 gallons of diesel an hour. Um, you know, they're paying four and a half, four bucks uh, for off-road diesel. Uh, I see that uh, road diesel is actually down now, uh, down under $5 for a while. It was around five fifty nine. But you got all these costs and everything, and, and you have kind of a, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of a false appreciation, really. I mean, you look at it in some cases in some of these assets, you know, whether it's farm equipment or farmland. Right. And, you know, farmland is held by a generation that is, um, that is, that is, that is aging, right? It's an aging generation that owns most of the farmland. Very little debt in the farmland ownership right now. There's some stats down in Iowa that it's, that it's up over 80% of the land held there has zero debt on it. And so they are not, they're, they're immune to these interest rate hikes, right? Um, but if they are selling or something happens and the next generation inherits it, it might be a great opportunity for them to sell or they may inherit it and they would like to sell that land and bring it into uh, and, and put, the, put that asset in towards something else. Um, and then, and then that's when, that's when I really like to call Larry and talk about an analysis, you know, let's say you do want to go buy, um, a, a different asset with that. Is there a strategy there to, 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 to try and defer your capital gains tax on that if, if you are subject to it? So, but I, 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 I watch, I'm watching this generational wealth change to the, to the next, to the next generation and, and how that's being handled. And that's why a lot of our sales are happening, right? Because they inherited it, the land and um the market is is strong and they want to sell it now um but if you got if you got a lot of debt on it i really um you really got to strategize about what you're going to do so yeah and and on our third segment i want larry to get into this a little bit more too because when you're talking about selling uh, an asset like farmland uh, and i brought this up to a client the other day in fact she brought it up she she's uh she's a baby boomer uh, pretty much the same age as i am and and her and her siblings are going to be selling their farmland through Pfeiffer's. And uh, they were thinking about doing a 1031 exchange so they could defer their capital gain tax. Uh, and then uh, their accountant said, well, you know, when you think about it, we still are at the lowest uh, t- capital gain tax rate we've been in like 50 years. Right, Larry? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So do you bite the bullet now uh, and pay that, whatever it is, that 15%, pay some of your state tax, some of the hospitalization tax, that's all a part of that progressive tax. So maybe you're going to be in that 20% range uh, before Congress decides that, you know what, we need to raise more money to pay the debt off. Uh, and that capital gain base rate goes from 15 to 20%. But uh, Steve, I think that's going to be kind of the dilemma later on is um, if, if you don't sell it now and you want to sell it later, the tax bite could be substantially more. It won't be 5% more. Uh, 15 to 20% is a lot more than five. <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of money printed and handed out. And, and, and it's, that's, that's why this economy was, was roaring like it was. And, and now that's, now they're going to come out figure out the government's gonna have to figure out how to pay for it. And, and yeah, it's going to come off the taxpayers, uh, backs. And so that, that's the conversation we're having day daily. Well, that's the one thing I like about the group at Pfeiffer's. You always take that into the equation because one plus one isn't two when it comes to rate increases and, 
and capital gain taxes and all those kind of things because when you figure rates go from three and a quarter percent to five, that's not a one point seven five percent return. What would that be, Larry? That'd be about a sixty percent return or sixty percent increase, right? It'd be a big if, jump. Yeah, and if capital gain tax rate goes from fifteen to twenty percent, that's not a five percent re- uh, increase. It's it's substantially more. It's substantially more than that, and we all know that. So again, we want to talk a little bit more about that. That's a lot of things you need to take into consideration when you fell like when you sell farmland. And there's also been discussion too that they may take away the uh, the uh, stepped up basis. So that's when you get the new valuation at the date of the last survivor's death. So if you inherited it from your parents or whatever it might be, uh, the last parent did die, they reevaluate the the market value of that that property, that asset at that time. So again, that is something to take into consideration. If they were to get rid of that, um, the whole real estate market could actually implode. So hopefully they won't. That was some there was some discussion and in Congress earlier in 2022 and late 2021 about it, but it really didn't get any footing. Uh, so fortunately, that's kind of been off the table or shelved, at least for now. But it is something that eventually could be back on the table for further discussion. But it is something that everybody that's selling an asset has to be has to be very, very aware of. And, and I know, Steve, the bro- you as a broker at Pfeiffer's, you and your agents do that well. You kind of have a checklist of everything you want to go through with your clients. So, folks, if you are selling farmland, make sure you check all the boxes and go with a firm that fully understands it. And you can do that with Steve Link and his crew over at Pfeiffer's. Nobody does it better than our sponsors. Uh, all of the farmland real estate agents, the land auctioneers and equipment auctioneers and the farmland managers. Nobody does it better. And I want to thank them again for sponsoring our, our show today like they do every Saturday morning on your favorite radio station and also for sponsoring our podcasts on Apple and Spotify. You can get a hold of them at 877-700-4099 or email them at info at pifers.com or just go to their website and search their team out and you can get a look at all the profiles there of their entire team and their entire lineup. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer, America's Land Auctioneer. I want to thank you all for joining us here again for our third segment today. Steve Link, the broker at Pfeiffer's Auction Realty is joining us here again today. And then also Larry O'Callaghan, who specializes in 1031 tax-deferred exchanges, is with us here today. So we certainly appreciate both guys carving out part of their day to be with us in studio here today so that we can bring you some really good, valuable information. You know, Larry, at Pfeiffer's, you know, when they sell a lot of farmland, you know, one one good uh, arrow uh, in the in the quiver, one good tool in the toolbox is the 1031 tax-deferred exchange where you can actually sell an asset uh, in our particular case, farmland, and you can defer that capital gain tax during your lifetime if you'd like to. You don't, you don't get rid of it, you don't uh, avoid it, but you can defer it. And obviously, that is a very valuable tool. And, and you know, in your expertise, your line of work is normally it's a real estate investment trust, which is a REIT. And I was uh, quizzing Larry earlier today to see if he knew the answer to this question. How many American households or how many Americans do you feel actually invest in REITs, you know, and it's a, I think it's, I think it's an answer that's going to catch a lot of people uh, by surprise uh, or somewhat off guard. When you think about the number of people that can invest or that have invested in a real estate investment trust, uh, either through their 401k or personally through the sale of property, whatever it might be, 
But, Larry, it is 145 million American households have invested in REITs right now, according to some sources, or 44% of all Americans are in REITs. So a real estate investment trust, which, you know, we have a number of them up in our part of the country here and our firm. Uh, you know, we refer our clients that sell farmland to a lot of these REITs because they're locally managed, they're regionally managed, uh, they perform exceptionally well year in and year out. Uh, their management teams are, they, they have a lot of experience, a lot of integrity, so they do a fantastic job. Uh, but again, uh, I think I think that is a tool uh, that has helped a lot of people in our line of work, Larry, over the last couple of years, simply because, you know, it's, it's number one, it's legal. Number two, it's another great alternative investment, and you can preserve your wealth because, again, it's all about preserving wealth, and, you know, otherwise 35 40% of it gets uh, written to Uncle Sam or to the state, and it's gone forever. That's right, Kev. What I've <clears throat> seen over the years is, is that basically every two years, Congress or the new administration decides to get things out into the print, and uh, here's how we're going to raise tax revenue. And uh, this is one of the niches that they throw out there to try and raise revenue from. And it appears about every six to eight years that actually something occurs in that where some modification is made to it, the last one being in 2013. Uh, currently, uh, there's talk, and the talk has has basically gone nowhere. They have a lot of committee meetings, etc. So, do I foresee anything happening uh, near term? No. Uh, after the next Congress gets in, there's always the possibility there'll be more conversations going on it again at that time. Uh, could the rate increase? Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. They could change the the base level 15 up to a different number and probably not have a huge uh, impact on that. But the, the big one is, from my opinion, is the uh, step up in basis at time of death, as you talked about earlier. I think that is, that is key because the deferral process, whether you've actually used the deferral process or you own that land in your lifetime, and then many people say, well, I'm not selling it, I'll wait until I die and then pass it on and then there's no tax to the kids. Well, here we're saying you can sell the land take advantage of the higher cash flow off of it uh, through the deferral process of it and then get the step up in basis and pass it off to the kids so you've increased your wealth one more time in that process. Are you surprised, Larry, over the course of the last 25 years how well the REITs have actually done, whether they're the publicly traded ones or the uh, closely held REITs, the more private ones? Because you know, when, when I look at their numbers, I'm like amazed at how well they've done. Of course, you know, a lot of them use equity financing. Some will use debt financing. And, and the difference, folks, is equity financing is where you go get investors and invest. Debt financing is you go to a lender and they lend you money. You're the borrower. They lend you money. That's debt financing, but which has been unbelievably reasonable over the last five, seven years, particularly the last three or four going into COVID. You know, we were basically... I used to always say, you know, it's it's almost free money to a degree, but it isn't. But I mean, it, it, debt financing was so reasonable. A lot of REITs didn't even, you know, they needed to raise money because you have your loan to value. You need to raise that downstroke, that down payment. But beyond that, debt financing is so reasonable. They didn't need to dilute the owners uh, because they could simply go out and get cheap uh, debt financing. And that's, uh, don't you think that's part of the equation and how they've been able to perform so well? And, and obviously the market's good. Absolutely, Kev. The uh, low rates have been a huge stimulus to that. And then the next stimulus in the last couple of years 
is with the inflation now recently kicking in gear on it and real estate performs quite nicely in an appreciating environment and uh, if it's managed correctly and you asked earlier performance in the general sense and in the general sense yes REITs have done exceptionally well as an equity based sector over uh, since they started tracking them so that that's without question that's available to see when you then get into the equity REITs and do them individually then it's like every farmer in a section or within the state you got your exceptionally good ones and then you go down to those folks that are right on the edge and that's really no different than in publicly traded real estate trusts or in in private ones uh you'd mentioned we're very fortunate and yes we are we we have very conservative minded people locally and uh they have their own money involved in it so as we know when you have your own money involved in something you have a tendency to be a little bit more careful about your operational aspect of it so yes we're fortunate yeah, when I look at some of these uh, annual reports, and I even read a lot of the quarterly reports on the REITs, I'm like, you know what, you know, they're 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 really hitting it out of the park. They're really really doing it very very well. I follow, I, you know, I follow a lot of them. I follow some of the public ones. I follow the the one in Grand Forks and Fargo, Edgewood REIT. I follow them very closely. Um, I'm impressed with their management team. They do an exceptional job. Uh, I've followed their share price since they started in 2010. I, I just think they do an incredible job. Uh, you know, when you look at, you know, investing, if, let's say you invested in farmland in 2010 versus the REIT. I mean, you think about, and I know you've run some tables on some of that. Okay, where would you be if you put your money into a REIT in 2010 or farmland? Well, on farmland, we know what happened. We hit all-time highs in 14. Then in 15, you know, things dropped off about 20% and they stabilized. And now last year, we went up another 30%. Um, but in the REITs, I think you've seen just more of a constant steady growth. You haven't seen some of those blurps that you've seen in the farmland uh, and farmland really hasn't had big gyrations either by any means. We didn't, it, it didn't, the, the gyrations we have aren't anything what they used to be like in the eighties or whatever it might be. You know, we just had that small little blurp after 15, uh, where it dropped a little bit and then we just kind of stabilized and went sideways for a number of years. Uh, but now we've seen some pretty big in, up, upticks here in, uh, in land values, but on the REITs, you know, when I look at some of the charts, you know, again, whether it's closely held or publicly traded, it seems like they've just been really steady, high performing. And again, I, I, I credit a lot of that to their management, but also the access to capital is so cheap, or it was. That's correct. That's correct, Kevin. Uh, what I have seen in that area is, is that the uh, real estate trusts, again, from our part of the world here, is, is that they're acquiring income-producing commercial assets that are in what the term is tertiary or third-level areas, a, a Fargo, a Sioux Falls, a St. Cloud, uh, Springfield, Missouri, et cetera. 100,000 to less than 500,000 uh, areas. So they have a tendency to stay away from a big metro area. Th- those have taken a huge uptick up, and they can, of course, take a downtick down uh, quite quickly, too, when you have uh, real estate crashes that uh, have occurred in, in past decades. So, again, we're very fortunate in how these particular real estate trusts uh, own property and their choices are made on a very a steady basis, consistency. Yeah, and then the diversification of the portfolios, I think, is pretty incredible. And it's important that they diversify, you know, whether they're, they're investing in medical facilities, uh, senior housing, like some of them invest in senior housing, uh, uh, multifamilies, you know, apartment buildings, whatever it might be, office buildings. You know, again, I think, I think historically office buildings for some of them, you know, way back when, 30, 40 years ago, was a little bit more difficult, but it's getting to be, you know, obviously a little, a little bit more, 
profitable now. But again, you look at these portfolios, it seems like all sectors of their portfolios, Larry, they, they perform pretty well. They've been performing very well over the last uh, six, seven years. That's correct. Yeah, and, and when you think about it, do you, you know, when you look at, you know, where some of them are, you know, built a couple billion dollars assets under management, do you think the person who's looking at retiring, do you think there's a, there's a, a place in their investment portfolio and their retirement portfolio for a REIT? And, and if so, what percent? Well, of course, I absolutely think there's a place in every portfolio for that. It's, it's, if, if we're talking about agriculture, of course, we're talking about real property that they're looking to trade out. Well, it's like, in my mind, why would I trade out real property for paper property, uh, stock, per se? I, I just feel there's just more touch and value that you have for it. And then if you can have more than one of those properties in a portfolio, then, of course, you get diversification. So then that minimizes the inherent risk that goes along with it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think it's good diversification. I know at, at Pfeiffer's, you know, we, um, you know, I'm going to tell everything over the air, but, you know, we, we take a really hard look at these REITs in our investment, in our retirement portfolio. I think there's a place for them. And, but again, they got to be performing. They got to hit, got to check all the boxes, right, Larry? You got to check, uh, yes. you know, their track record, their management team, uh, their dividends and, you know, all of that. But, but traditionally, don't all of them pay quarterly dividend, right? Some do monthly. Yeah. yeah, it's a small percentage, but that that would do the monthly dividend over yeah, the quarterly correct, dividend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, folks, I tell you what, we're having a great one here with Larry O'Callaghan and Steve Lank uh, in studio here today. Appreciate everybody joining us. Before we take our final break here, I want to thank all of our friends at Pfeiffer's Auction and Realty and Pfeiffer's Farmland Management for sponsoring our show every single week, and they also sponsor our podcasts on Apple and Spotify, so you can go to any of. Uh, those previous 70-plus podcasts and listen to any of the conversations we've had with professionals in their respective industries. And if you want to get a hold of us or any of the Pfeiffer folks, their farmland or equipment auctioneers, their farmer real estate agents, or their farmland managers, you can email them at info at Pfeiffer's.com or you can call them at 877-700-4099. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer. We'll be right back. After this break, been the money getting in on thirty-five, and I have sold it to you right there. Good bird, just great buy. Alvin been on here now fifty thousand dollar bid now twenty-five bid thirty. Alvin twenty five bid on thirty and one of thirty thousand dollars here now. They're gonna now thirty thousand dollar bid and now five. Welcome back to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer, America's Land Auctioneer. want to thank you all for joining us here in our final segment here this Saturday morning. If you forget to listen to any of our, uh, our broadcasts on your favorite radio station, you can always go to our podcast at Apple or Spotify. All you have to do is go to Pfeiffer's.com, click on our radio banner, and you can get into any of our previous 70 podcasts and listen to those if you want to learn more about estate planning and easements and royalties and mineral rights and those types of things, you can get into the podcast and learn as much as you possibly can. Larry O'Callaghan's with us today and Steve Link. Steve's the broker at Pfeiffer's. Larry specializes in 1031s. But Larry, before we get into Steve, uh, I want to talk to Steve a little bit here after you're done here, a little bit about some of the upcoming land auctions at Pfeiffer's uh, and some of their more current sales here. But, you know, Larry, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot at stake when it comes to, What's happening with uh, the 1031 situation, you know, whether you can do the 1031 tax deferred exchanges or not, because, you know, when you think about it, it has a major economic impact in America, doesn't it? It sure does. 
Kev, and when you had asked me to come on to speak today, I punched up looking for what was current, and uh, this is an item that caught my attention. I'll just read it if I may. According to a 22 study by Ernst & Young, like-kind exchanges supported 976,000 jobs and contributed $48 billion in labor income and $97 billion in value added to the U.S. gross domestic product in 21. The research also found like-kind exchanges generated $13 billion in federal, state, and local taxes. Interesting item. In addition, the depreciation uh, gets paid, providing another $6 billion in annual income tax revenue. What caught my attention was is that, well, isn't this all supposed to be tax-deferred? Well, why is there taxes showing up? Well, it went on to say that about 80% of the sales out there, in part, end up having not all of the real estate being deferred. People take cash out or choose to go the other direction based on their CPA, making that recommendation that you touched on earlier that it's at a 15 and 20% bracket and it'll go up, not down, going forward. So it's basically encouraging people to pay the, t pay the tax bullet now. Yeah, and I think another thing that's important too is let's say, for instance, if you sold three-quarters of land, you don't have to put all of it into a 1031 tax-deferred exchange. You could, um, you know, you get a multiple purchase agreements. You could defer some of it so you don't pay the capital gain tax. You can defer it. You don't avoid it, but you eliminate it. You don't, you defer it. Or you could, and then you could have the other two quarters, you could just pay the tax or vice versa, however you want to slice and dice that anyway, just as long as the paperwork's done and it's done legally, uh, you can certainly do that. And a lot of our clients will do that. They may say, let's say they have a farm and it, they sell it for $2 million. They may say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to put you know 75% of it into a 1031 tax deferred exchange. We're going to put it into a REIT. Let's say whether it's Dakota REIT or Edgewood or whatever the other ones are. Um, I'm going to put it into the REIT and the other half a million they're going to take and they're going to pay the taxes. They're going to pay a hundred thousand uh, dollars. Let's say it's 20% with the state and the federal and uh, hospitalization tax on there. They're going to pay the hundred thousand and the 500 or whatever it might be, Larry. And they're going to just go from there. Uh, but you can see you, you know, the, the thing of it is, I think that everybody needs to understand is when you're selling, you're in control the whole time. You are in complete control, but you have to follow the rules. You gotta, you gotta follow the law and you have, all the paperwork needs to be done, right? All the steps need to be followed. Make sure you do it right. Uh, but there is smart planning in that, you know, and again, that's kind of why the wealthy people get wealthier because, you know, they got this stuff figured out, you know, they're, they're putting this into, uh, they're, they're preserving, you know, it's one thing to create wealth. It's more of a challenge to preserve that wealth. And again, there, there are ways that you can do that. You know, Steve and I, we talk to clients all day long about how you're going to preserve the wealth. I mean, obviously, you know, you're going to give uh, 40% of it away. If you're in the 38, 40%, 42% tax bracket, you're going to give, you know, for every million and give 400 grand away. I mean, you're going to try and preserve that somehow. You want to try and do that as much as you possibly can. Steve, you guys have had some great auctions lately. Uh, can you maybe highlight one or two more really great ones you've had recently? And then what's coming up on the docket at Piper's? Well, yeah, we uh, our our land sales. We we had one down by Wheaton, Minnesota, that uh, that got up over over eight thousand an acre on the tillable um, part of it, and so that was a fantastic sale. A lot of good participation there. But I am really excited coming up here real soon. We have one hundred and fifteen acres in uh, in Barn or Ransom County that's near Fort Ransom. That's one of the prettiest parcels that we've ever that we've ever sold. Um, the deer hunting, the wildlife that, that's on it is, is, is just fantastic. And so that's going to be a real treat to do that. 
we go out to Wisconsin. We're selling some land out in Wisconsin, and then we get out to Western North Dakota by Dickinson and Minot and Clay County and Cass County. We got a full schedule coming up. Yeah, when I look at the portfolio that of land that you and your agents and auctioneers have coming up, it's it's a little bit overwhelming because somebody made a comment to me the other day. I was talking to a lender at this event I was at, and he said. There's not a lot of inventory on the market. And I'm like, well, have you been to the Pfeiffer's website lately? They got 20,000 acres of farmland for sale, you know, up and down the Red River Valley. Uh, you know, so there, there's quite a few. But, you know, when you think about, you know, some of the recent sales, you know, like you talked about the 8150 down in uh, Wheaton, down in Travers County, Minnesota. You know, that was a bellwether sign that the market continues to be really, really strong. You know, the recent one over in Stutzman County here, well in excess of 5,500 an acre. Uh, we've seen some in the 7,000 an acre in Barnes and Stutzman County too, but then you go out further out West, you know, and they're selling, uh, they're selling, you know, not going to say marginal land, but you know, good land, not excellent land, but you're selling a lot of cropland out there for three to 4,000 an acre out West, which surprises me to this day that, you know, that the market can withstand that type of marketing. Well, yeah. And the, the, like we've talked about, there's a lot of confidence still in the market. So um, it's fun to see it. And, and, but we're encouraging people that are thinking about selling it to try and get as much on the front end of these interest rate hikes as they can. And so I really, really want people to call us and, and, and get a handle on what they have there for an asset and the best timing to sell it. Cause right now it feels like it's sooner rather than later. Yeah. I've been telling a lot of my potential clients, you know, if you're going to sell farmland, let's get it done before the 14th of September, because well, the fed meets again in September, I think it's the 15th is their meeting. Um, it's highly likely there'll be another rate increase after the one we just took earlier in the week. Um, you know, we're flirting with 5% now on the prime. And, and if they take another hike in September, they're going to take October, November off the way it sounds because of the midterm elections. But, um, you can, you can count on it, Larry, they're going to come back swinging after the election and, uh, Powell's going to come up to the plate and he's probably going to throw in another, one, two, three punch on us here on the prime. Uh, I don't know how high it's going to go, but uh, I've been encouraging a lot of people, you know what, you want to lock in some rates. You better do it before the 15th of September if you missed this last one. Um, you know, obviously that's, you know, that again, that's if your farmland, uh, you know, houses is more off of the 10-year treasury or whatever, but which, you know, we did go down a couple of weeks ago and, and what surprised me, it went down to like two seven or something. It was up over three for a long time, but Again, these rates are going to be critical, I think, in what's going to happen. But if you're a seller, man, I'd get a hold of somebody now. I get a hold of them at Pipers and say, "Hey, Steve, who can I talk to? I want to get something sold." Exactly. Yep. You know, and I want to get because buyers want to lock in their rate. You know, right, Larry? People want to—they're going to do equity and debt financing when they buy this, aren't they? Absolutely. Get after it. Yeah. You know, they're going to put some equity in it. They're not going to go probably 100%, but maybe 30 40% on the loan-to-value and then finance the rest. Well, if they're going to be financing it at 8% versus where we're at now at 5 they're a lot better off doing it now rather than later. Yep, I agree. I, I fully agree. And it is a conversation we're having daily now, and, and uh, sellers, sellers got to understand what, 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 what market and what dynamic we're in. Folks, I tell you what, if you want to get a hold of any of the Pfeiffer's folks who sponsor our show – uh, you can get a hold of Steve and his agents and farmland auctioneers, equipment auctioneers, and their farmland managers who do a great job. Nobody does it better than that group. You can call them at 877-700-4099 or email them at info at com. Again, nobody does it better than that group over there. So, Larry and Steve, thank you guys for being with me today. I certainly do appreciate it. 
uh, these conversations have to take place quite often, uh, particularly if you're a if you're a short-term seller, folks. Uh, I'd ratchet it up a little bit and get something on the calendar because, uh, you know, we're in for a little bit of a rocky time over the course of the next 12 to 18 months if you're a seller. But I think you can you can still fit in this window of great opportunity. Folks, uh, you've been listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer. We'll look forward to being with you next week. 